Let's open our Bibles, please, to Psalm 136. We prepared the rest of 136 and 137 and 138. The Psalms are rather short, and we'll see how far we get in these uh, verses. We got down to verse 10. We'll pick up with verse 10 in the 136th Psalm. And this shows us the work of redemption beginning here. Psalm 136, verse 10, it says, To him that smote Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endureth forever. In fact, if you'll notice at the end of each one of these verses, it says, For his mercy endureth forever. So this is a psalm of God's enduring mercy. And in this particular verse, it says, To him that smote Egypt in their firstborn. It was necessary that God smite the firstborn in the land of Egypt to bring deliverance to his people. If you remember Exodus 11, verse 5, it says that all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall be destroyed, shall die. It didn't say all the firstborn of the land of Egypt. That would mean only the Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But Israel was there and all of the families of Israel. And it says all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. And God made a provision. You see, he had a chosen people in a worldly country. And the worldly country was condemned and his people had they not made available the blood of the Passover lamb and applied it to the lintel and the side post. Every firstborn in the land of Egypt would die, including them. In fact, if you read in Hebrews 11, in verse 28, speaking of the same thing, it says, Through faith he, speaking of Moses, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Sometimes we feel like that the Israel was not in danger, but they were the very ones that was in danger, and they're the very ones that God had provided uh, an application of the blood to deliver them from the death angel that would come over and smite the firstborn in the land of Egypt. And it was necessary to smite the firstborn of Egypt to deliver his people. Do you know it was necessary to smite God's firstborn in our place that he might deliver us? It says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, she brought forth, forth her firstborn son. Speaking of the firstborn, let me read in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, there's another verse, but I, I'm getting them mixed up. I'll read this one. And knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Last verse of the first chapter of Matthew. So Jesus was that firstborn. In fact, in the book of Colossians chapter 1, it says, in verse uh, 15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created, and speaking of Christ. And it speaks of all things created. So we find that uh, the firstborn in the land of Egypt was in danger, and it took the firstborn son, the only begotten son of God, to bring deliverance. And then look at verse 2. It says, and brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endureth forever. Deliverance is a part of redemption. You see, the children of Israel were delivered by blood and by power. See, he not only smote the firstborn in the land of Egypt, but he also brought Israel out from among them, for his mercy endureth forever. So by his power he delivered them from out from under the hands of the Egyptians. So our redemption also is by blood and by power. We're redeemed by the blood of Christ and we're redeemed by the power of God. Both things are necessary. The Bible says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And then the Bible says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. 
The Bible says, For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but listen, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. So the blood of Christ has redeemed us. And then the gospel of Christ is the power of God. It says, uh, I'm not ashamed, Paul says to the Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. So we are also redeemed by blood and by power. He saved us by His blood, making atonement for our sins, and by the power of God He has brought this gospel of deliverance home to our hearts, and when we believed on Christ, He has saved us through Christ's redemptive blood. And so the, just as Israel was saved physically and literally from uh, Egypt, so are you and I saved spiritually and eternally by the same method, by blood and by power. <clears throat> I want you to look at verse uh, 12. With a strong hand and with a stretched out arm, for His mercy endureth forever. This is how He uh, showed His deliverance. He has power to deliver. And He has a strong hand to deliver. And a stretched out arm. This speaks of God's power. For His mercy endureth forever. And then I want you to notice verse 13. To him which divided the Red Sea into parts, for his mercy endureth forever. You know, the Lord made a way for his people to pass, even though it, was a, it required a miracle to do it. He parted the Red Sea. It says, to him which divided the Red Sea into parts, for his mercy endureth forever. I'm sure most of you have seen the Ten Commandments on television. Pretty good uh, illustration of what God did. That he opened up the sea and the... Children of Israel went through dry shod on dry land. And it says in verse 14, And made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for His mercy endureth forever. The Lord leads His people through dangerous places. This was pretty dangerous, wasn't it? We're going to find what happened in a moment to the Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But it was pretty dangerous to take it upon yourself to go through a parted sea and waters on either side had you not been trusting in God. And in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, and verse 2, it says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. When? When thou passest through the waters. It doesn't say if thou passest through the waters. Now, Israel literally passed through the waters. The, the three Hebrew children walked through the fire, remember in Daniel? We also pass through waters and fire. We have the trials and tribulations of life that we pass through. And it doesn't say if you pass through, but it says when. I don't know of anyone that hasn't had some kind of trials compared to passing through the waters and some th fiery trials. Peter says the fiery trial that is to, uh, that you're to be tried with it says, think it not strange when these fiery trials come. He says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ. And that's in First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, if need be, you're in manifold temptations. The verse before that. If need be. Sometimes we need to go through these trials. Let me turn there and read that for you. It's a very important Verse of Scripture. First Peter, 
Look at chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Chapter 1. And look at these two verses. I think it would be well if you would look at them with your own eyes and see what it says. Verse 6 says, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, listen now, if need be, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Now you see that word, if need be? Sometimes it needs to be. You're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Now verse 7 says, That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Can you imagine your trials being more valuable to you than gold? And gold perishes. It says, uh, Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So there's a, ne- there's a necessity for us going through trials sometimes. And the Lord can lead us through dangerous places, just as He led Israel through the Red Sea. Now, uh, look at verse 15. Hold your place in the psalm where we're studying. Psalm 136, verse 15. It says, But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the, in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. What did he do? The Lord gives us victory over our enemies. He overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. You can go back and read the record of it in Exodus 14, verse 27, 28, and find what happened. Let me read that for you. Exodus 14, verse 27, 28. It says this, And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength. When the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, there remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. You see, God has a way of protecting His own when He judges those that uh, fight against His own. The main thing is be one of God's own. The main thing is be a child of God. Be on God's side. We preach Sunday on Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Well, it doesn't say God walked with Enoch. So we have to go God's way. We have to be on God's side. You know, if you heard people say, I want the Lord to be on my side. Well, listen, you be on His side and He'll be on your side. First, He wants you to turn to Him. And then He'll take care of you. The Bible tells us that that, uh, all things, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. There's two to thems in that verse. Two to thems. To them that love God. To them who are the called according to His purpose. So loving God and being called according to His purpose. And then all things work together for good. Have you ever found things in your life that you'd say, I don't know how this is going to work out. Well, it's going to work out for good if you love God and if you're called to follow Him and you're willing to follow Him. And you're walking with Him. uh, Two can't walk together except they be agreed. So the Lord is able to lead us through dangerous places and bring us out victorious on the other side just as He did the, the children of Israel from Pharaoh's host, and deliver them to judgment in the, in the Red Sea, for His mercy endureth forever. Look at verse 16. It says, To Him which led His people through the wilderness, for His mercy endureth forever. Through the wilderness. We're in the darkness and the wilderness of this world. And God led Israel through the wilderness, 
And by the way, He gave them a light by day. It says in Exodus 13, verse 21, And the Lord went before them, listen carefully, by day in a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud to lead them in the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. A pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Now think of this for a moment. A pillar of cloud by day to protect them and to lead them. And a pillar of fire by night. It's too cold in here. If it is, go turn to somebody. I can't do it. It's way back there. You handle it. Uh, anyway, I'm glad I don't have that responsibility anymore. I used to, I used to change that thermostat up here, and one would look at me like "do it," and the other would look like "don't do it," and so I just leave that to Randy, and you can get on him. Okay. So uh, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night was God's presence guiding them by day and by night. Now listen carefully. And this is symbolical of the Holy Spirit that guides us by day and by night. That pillar of cloud was a visible sign of God's presence. The cloud was not given to Israel until they had been delivered out of Egypt. And the Holy Spirit is not given to us till we've been delivered. Till we've been delivered from sin. And the cloud was, was God's gift to Israel. And so the Holy Spirit is uh, God's gift and given as an act of, of free grace to all that believe on Christ. By the way, the Bible says, In whom ye also trusted, listen carefully, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, listen, in whom also after that ye believed, or upon believing, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So upon believing, God gives you His Holy Spirit. And upon their deliverance, God gave them His pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night, a continuous guidance of His presence around the clock, And by the way, all the years that they spent in the wilderness journey, he took not away, in the book of Nehemiah it says, he took not away that pillar of cloud and fire by day and by night. And this is our wilderness journey. And all of our wilderness journey, he's given us the Holy Spirit to abide in us. He's given us the word to be a lamp unto us. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And he's given his word and his spirit to guide us. You couldn't ask for better guidance than that, could you? The, the Word of God is God's uh, uh, road map. It's God's instructions. It's God's guidance. And the Holy Spirit applies that Word so that we obey it and we're, it's quickened to our hearts and lives. When you read in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, the whole armor of God, it says, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the Holy Spirit applies the Word of God to our hearts and lives to guide us Throughout this wilderness journey. Just as God gave Israel His presence. I could preach a whole sermon on the spirit of uh, the the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Just give you briefly. The cloud was given as a guide to Israel. So is the Holy Spirit our guide. The Bible says as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The cloud gave light. It says that it gave light to them by night. And then the cloud was given for a covering. In Psalm 105, verse 39, it says it was a covering for them. God spake from the cloud. Psalm 99, verse 7. The Holy Spirit is God's spokesman to you and I. This same cloud was darkness to the Egyptians. Remember what happened? Look in 14, verse 20 of Exodus. 
Let me read verse 19. It says, The angel of God which went before the camp of Israel, now listen, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. So instead of being before them to lead them, it went and it stood behind them, and it came between the camp of the Egyptians, their enemy, and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, that is to the Egyptians, and it says, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. So that pillar of cloud and fire was a protection. It was a barrier of protection between Egypt and those that were pursuing God's people and between Israel. It came, it removed from before them and went behind them and between them and the enemy. Now, if you say, well, I've got problems and the enemy's on my heels. Well, God has His Holy Spirit to come and be a barrier between you and those that would harm you. And I'm glad that we have such divine protection. I've been threatened many times in my life with various things. Preacher, you can't build a church here in Rio Dosa. And in 1959, we did. And it's still here. Still here today. We have some wonderful people that come too. But God has been good to us through the years. But, uh, you know, there's all kinds of things. I could have quit a thousand times, but I didn't quit one time. Because I knew that God wanted me here. And so He wants you here. And there's room for more to come. And we're going to see that they do. And just pray that they will. Okay? So, um, God's protection and God's vindication is worth having. Let's go back to our psalm now. Psalm 136 and verse... uh, uh, 16, to him which led his people through the wilderness, we told you how, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which smote great kings, for his mercy endureth forever. The Lord gives us victory over great kings. And it says, and slew famous kings, for his mercy endureth forever. He gives us victory over famous kings. You know the most famous king that hinders us today? We have three great enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And one of one of the most vicious kings and the famous kings in the lives of the world in the in the world is the king of pleasure. The Bible says lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And pleasure is the most famous king that hinders us. Have you ever noticed that people want to say, Well, you know, as long as I can have a good time, as long as it meets with my pleasure, as long as everything is is okay for me. Why don't you reverse that a little bit? As long as anything that I do pleases God. As long as I can live how God wants me to live. The Bible says the pleasures of the Lord at at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. And the Christian has many pleasures. We're not talking about lustful and sinful pleasures. We're talking about genuine, heartfelt pleasures. Even the sorrows. We were talking about the trials a minute ago. Remember what we said about trials? If need be, now listen, trials. Sometimes sorrows are a great blessing to us. There's a little thing I used to quote. It says, I I walked a mile with with laughter. She chattered all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she. But all the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with Some of your greatest lessons of life are, are learned when things are not as well with you as you might want them to be. And you learn a great deal by sorrow. 
just when a, when a woman brings a child into the world, she goes through great pain and travail. But it says in the Bible, for the joy of that uh, newborn child, that infant, the, the sorrow was not so bad because now there's, there's joy and there's happiness at the birth of that child. And the Bible speaks of that thing, very thing. All right, I want you to notice something else. It says in verse uh, uh, 18, And slew famous kings for his mercy endures forever. And then the last one, proud. Uh, Sion, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endureth forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his mercy endureth forever. And these were proud kings. Great and proud kings that were slain. Remember, Sihon and Og, these two were slain before Israel entered into the promised land. And when they went into the promised land, if you remember, God had already told Rahab and all of the people of Jericho what God had done for the children of Israel on the other side, fear had struck their hearts. And so they didn't have to do very much. They had already won the battle in their minds and hearts because they had won this victory over there that God had gave, given them. He had given them this victory. And so when they went over to take the land for possession, the land of Canaan, and Jericho was the first target on the, on, after they crossed over, well, Rahab says the fear of you is in all our hearts. Now, you can win a battle before you ever fight it if there's that kind of a fear. Have you ever come up against someone and they're absolutely afraid that you, I mean, just filled with fear? Well, they just will take off if they're filled with fear. Just like some of these guys playing the, these uh, professional the NBA, you know, if they come in there and they're afraid they're not going to win at all, afraid that they don't have a ghost of a chance, they probably don't. They have to fight that battle in their mind and in their heart. And you have to fight the battles of your Christian life in your mind and in your heart as well. The Bible says that when David knew that he had a battle before him, it says he strengthened himself in the Lord. So you apply your mind and your heart to what God wants you to do. And you ask God's help and God's strength, and then you can carry it out. But if you go your own fleshly way, or if you become fearful and afraid, remember... Gideon's army, he started out with 32,000, and God said to Gideon, he says, uh, you have too many because they'll claim that they won the battle. And they, were, they were coming up against 135,000 Midianites. That's a pretty small army in comparison to start with, isn't it? 32,000 against 135, and God says there's, there's too many there. And so 22,000 of them went back home. He says, whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return to his tents. And 20, only 10,000 was left. And then God said to Gideon, he says, there are yet too many. There are yet too many. And he gave him another test. He says, go down to the brook. And he says, uh, let everyone get a drink. And he says, those that fall down flat of their face and drink water just uh, without any uh, care and indulgence full force and just drink it up and not caring about what's behind them or before them. He says, you send those home and those that take the, their hand and take a little water and lap it as a dog lap of water. In other words, they, they're alert. They, they're getting a drink of water. They need the, the water for their thirst. But on the other hand, they're alert and they're going to keep their eye on the enemy too. He says, you take those and that's the one, that's the army I want you to have. And he gave them this second test and, and, it, and there were only 300 that did that way. So Gideon went up against the Midianites of 135,000. I believe that's the right thing. You can check it out. And with 300 men. That's not, you know. And, and they scared them to death. 
they had the lamps and the pitchers. And Gideon says, when I, he, had, he divides those 300 into three groups of 100. And he told them to take a lamp in one hand, a pitcher in the other hand. I mean, a, a pitcher, lamp, and... Well, what did I say now? I got it wrong. But anyway, I go back to the story, and they were to break their pitchers and let the light shine. And then, uh, what, the, the trumpet in the other hand. Trumpet in the other hand. And so they blow the trumpets. They had the, the lamps in the pitcher, and they had the trumpets in the other hand. And when they break the pitchers, they blew the trumpets, and, and all the Midianites thought there was a whole mountain full of Israel round about. And they got scared to death and ran off. So they won the battle, didn't they? But I like to got my facts mixed up. But anyway, you can straighten me out when I get home. Uh, so uh, he is able to take care of kings, isn't he? Now then, we said pleasure is the most famous king that hinders us. So he's able to take care of that and give us. And the proud kings, he's able to deliver. And then the last uh, one that he gives us victory over. Look at this. It says... Uh, verse 20 was the last king that he destroyed. And then in verse 21, and gave their land for an heritage for his mercy endureth forever. He, the Lord gives his people an inheritance. He gave Israel that land for an inheritance. And he gives you and I, you and I as Christians an inheritance. And our inheritance is not on this earth. You may be promised an inheritance while you're here on this earth, but you may never get it. There's been a lot of people that said, oh, I had a rich uncle or my mother and dad's going to leave me a lot of money or uh, someone's going to leave me this and that and the other. And something will happen down the line. They'll either spend it all or lose it all or the lawyers will get most of it or you may never get it or you may never live to get it. So anything can happen to an earthly inheritance. But the Bible says that we are begotten again unto a living hope, a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. And so, he's not only has an inheritance for us that, look at the character of it. It's an inheritance undefiled and that fadeth not away. And it's reserved in heaven for you. You say, well, that's kind of like an earthly inheritance. But it says, who are kept by the power of God. So we're kept for the inheritance. You see, God not only has an inheritance for us, but He keeps us for it. God has given us a promise that we're going to inherit our blessings. That we're going to have them when this life is over. Uh, The Bible already promises us, even if the Lord were not to come in our lifetime, if we just die, as, as all men since Adam have, except Enoch and Elijah. If we die... And go the way of all the earth, as the Bible speaks of death. We depart to be with Christ, the Bible says, which is far better. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you want to know where your loved one is, it's dead. If they're a child of God, they're with the Lord. And the Bible says that he was taken up into heaven. So they're in heaven. Oh, there's some cults that teach that when you die, you're like a dead dog or you're like a dead animal. But I don't believe that because God made us different than animals. And uh, the scriptures they use to prove that are taken completely out of, of text anyway. Uh, the Bible teaches that, that the child of God goes to be with Jesus. And in the book of Acts chapter 1, it says, when Jesus ascended into heaven, it says, you men of Galilee, listen, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, 
This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Okay, Christ's coming is back personally, visibly, and bodily. But also what I want to point out is the location of Christ is in heaven. Now, wherever that is, we depart to be with Christ, so we go to be with the Lord in heaven. You say, well, preacher, is it above the stars? Is it below the stars? Is it above the planets? I don't know where it is, but it's in heaven. And I know it says He's taken up, so I know it's up. I know it's not down. So there's a lot of things we know about it, right? And we know that where Jesus is, that's called heaven. And we know that where Jesus is, that's where we're going. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away. Look at this. In verse 22 now, it says, Even an heritage for Israel his servant, for his mercy endureth forever. I want to read that just, I want you to look at that verse, 22. Look at it in your Bible. You talk about this book being modern and up to date. I was in my study reading this very verse this afternoon, and I could hear the news coming on, the evening news. And just as I read, even as an heritage unto Israel, he said Israel, telling about the, the, the uh, election. We're talking about the same nation, the same people, that you find the, uh, the writer in, the, that David writes about in the Psalms, referring back in the Psalms to the time that this nation was delivered from Egyptian bondage, the nation of Israel. You talk about being up to date and people say that's outdated. And when I was reading it, the same two words as I read Israel, he said Israel. That's amazing, isn't it? A lot of times I've been in my study reading the Bible and in the news, the modern news, the up-to-date news, right this very day would speak of the same places. You know, a little while back when they had uh, some of the bombings and things over there in this last conflict, and they mentioned Tyre and Sidon. Well, Jesus says it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for thee, though that generation that rejected Him. Talking about being up to date. It's up to date, isn't it? And uh, what we're saying is the same people, the same nations, the same names are coming out day by day. So we know the Lord's promise concerning His people. And look, this, this promise, even an heritage unto Israel His servant, that heritage that He gave them of old is promised to them in the future. For His mercy endureth forever. It's not only what they received, it's what God promised would be their land from now on. And so it's going to be theirs in the future. And when the time of tribulation comes, they're going to be in their own land. And God is going to establish them finally at the end of it in their own land. A chosen earthly people. Well, we're a chosen Christians, children of God by faith in Christ, are a chosen heavenly people. And if God, someone said, well, preacher, what difference does it make what God promised Israel? Well, listen, if God would keep His promise to a nation and to a people and call them out, of, out by grace, certainly He'll keep His promise to you and I through what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And He's promised us many blessings. He promised them and He's keeping His word to them. That's why it's important we know that He keeps His word to them. Because if He keeps His word to them, He will surely keep His word to us. The Bible tells us we have a New Testament. And Jesus says, I am the author of this new covenant and it's established upon my shed blood. He says, this is my blood of the New Testament or new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so we have a covenant relationship based upon the shed blood of Jesus Christ as He died on the cross some 2,000 years ago. And it's God's guarantee that because we have accepted Christ, He is going to keep His eternal promises 
to you and I. And I'm, I'm glad that we can say that He's faithful in keeping His promise to Israel. I want you to look at these next two or three verses. It says um, in verse 23, Who redeemed us in our lowest state for His mercy endureth forever. He didn't redeem us in our highest state because we were not high. We were sinners by nature and by choice. In our lowest state means our, our condition our, of humiliation, being really down to nothing. It says in Psalm 103, listen carefully. In verse 14, For He knoweth our frame, here's our lowest state, He remembereth that we are dust. He remembereth that we are dust. As, as for man, his days are as grass as the flower of a field, so he flourisheth. Verse 13 says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. That's our lowest state. Our lowest state was as low as mankind could get. The lowest state of man in the days of Noah was that God saw that there was wickedness in the earth, and the very imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And God said, I will destroy man whom I have made upon the earth. And he destroyed the earth by a flood. And he saved Noah and his three sons, Noah's wife and the three sons' wives, eight souls. And he sent a flood of judgment upon the world of the ungodly. It says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God judged a wicked world. Now then, the Bible tells us that all of us have descended from Adam and then through Noah. And as a result, all of us are still sinners. And the Bible says, as one... As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death has passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So we know why men die, because of sin. If, if you did not sin, you would not die. If Adam had not sinned, we would not die. We not only have a sinful nature that's come from Adam, but we have, we have sinned personally and individually. You know why we sin? Because we have a sinful nature. And then when we sin, we become responsible ourselves for what we sin, not for what Adam did. You see, everything has a nature, and a, its seed is in itself. That's why I don't believe in evolution. I might say I believe in devolution. People are getting more wicked all the time. But listen, evolution. Okay, what does it mean? Everything, uh, one thing, everything didn't evolve from just one seed or one, one uh, cell. Because God made all the animals. He made all the different kinds of animals. He made man. He says He breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. You don't go down here at the store in the supermarket and go into the fruit section and all the fruits are the same seed. You can buy an apple or orange or peach or a pear or whatever, can't you? Because it all comes from different seeds. And God said He made them all different. If it was all one, we'd just go down there and there'd just be only one kind of fruit you could buy. And it'd be a mixture of all of them. I doubt if it'd taste very good. If you put lemons in good sweet apricots, would it? Wouldn't, wouldn't taste very good. But you see what happened? God made everything. It says He made everything after His kind. And the reason a, a man sins is he's a sinner. The reason an apple tree has apples on it is it's an apple tree. The reason an orange tree has oranges, it's an orange tree. And so on and so forth. And the reason man sins is because he's a sinner. And when we sin, we become responsible. And the Bible says if we confess our sins and repent of our sins, we're saved by the grace of God. It says, for by grace 
You are saved through faith and that not of yourselves the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So we come to the Lord as a repentant, believing sinner. And the Bible tells us that He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. You read Romans chapter 4, the last three verses. And it says concerning Abraham that God imputed or counted him to be righteous because he believed God. And it says it was not written for his sake alone. It was not for his sake alone that it was written. But for us also, for you and I, if we believe on him who was, now listen, delivered for our offenses to the cross and raised again for our justification, raised from the grave. It says it shall be imputed, that's counted, reckoned unto you. Now listen, what is it? Righteousness shall be counted to you. If you put your faith in Christ's death and resurrection, righteousness shall be counted to you. And when it is, that means that God has counted you that way and legally declared you to be righteous in His sight. Now, we can look at one another and you can look at me and you can pick out all my faults and you can say, certainly I'm unrighteous. I could look at you and probably couldn't do that. But on the other hand, when you look inside yourself, when you even look inside, you say, well, I'm not righteous. How how many times a day do we feel our inadequacy and the fact that we're sinners and the fact that we've come short and the fact that we're not what we want to be almost all the time? We feel like we'd like to be a better person, a cleaner person, a more uh, godly person. And we see that within there's weakness. We don't believe ourselves to be that way. But God says you are. He says by your faith in Christ's death and in His resurrection, He's declared you to be righteous, imputed, reckoned. Okay, then Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says this, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see how wonderful the thing that is? That you know that now you're counted to be righteous in the sight of God because of your faith in Christ's death and resurrection. And because your faith in that, God says now you can can be at peace and you really can know that you're at peace with God. And He made that peace for us, Colossians 1 verse 12, verse 20 rather, by the blood of His cross. And having made peace, it says, by the blood of His cross. So we find that that peace is ours that Christ made and we have it because of faith in Him. You know the Gospel is very plain and simple. But we were dust, weren't we? Let's try to finish this psalm. There's a couple more verses. Look at it. It says in verse 25, Who giveth food to all flesh, for His mercy endureth forever. What does He do? He supplies all of our needs. Who giveth food to all flesh. The Bible says to the Philippians, but my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Jesus put this, put it this way. In Matthew 6, verse 33, He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. If we'll seek first our spiritual needs, The kingdom of God and His righteousness. Jesus said all these things. What was He talking about? He said, consider the lilies of the field, how they're clothed. Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He says, look at the birds of the air, how your heavenly Father feedeth them. He says, are you not of more value than many sparrows? And then He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know what? We would quit worrying a lot if we do what the Bible tells us, 
I mean it would just go out the door. Because we know that if we trust God, if we put our faith in the Lord, we're righteous before God, we're justified by faith, we have peace with God, we know God says He'll supply our food and our needs. And if we put the kingdom of God and His righteousness first, you put that into practice and see the principles that are laid down that we've given you uh, this evening. And I only got that first sum. I was going to get three. I had three of them ready. But we got that one. But listen, if you put that into practice, think about it. God has given you His promise. He'll take care of you. Someone says, I just wish I knew that I was going to be taken care of. I can guarantee you how you'll be taken care of. You put Jesus first and He'll take care of you. In everything and He'll take care of you. You say, well, I'm going to have all these problems. I have them too. But He still takes care of me. He still takes care of me. And He will you too. He says, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. God looks upon you and He sees everything about you. He knows everything about us. He says, the Lord knows your hearts. And in closing, let me give you two verses of Scripture. The Bible says, the Word of God, Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, verse 13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So God knows all about you. He knows every little detail of our lives. And I'm glad he does, because when I have some that I can't tell him about, he already knows. He says, your heavenly Father knoweth